The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our online listeners today. We are really excited about this series that we are going through on universalism. This is Universalism Part 7. And we have got listeners from India and in Indonesia and countries all over the world that are listening to this podcast because they are curious on this topic of universalism. Universalism is a very, very simple definition of a group of people following one God. When America, for example, who claims to be a Christian nation under God, it is a true statement because Christianity in America no longer means Jesus Christ. It means the truest Greek definition of Christian. Keep in mind there's over 200 religions that use the term Christian. My Mormon contacts, you guys use the term Christian, but yet you believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. Christlams who have blended Christianity and, and, and the religion of Muslim together, you too use the term Christian. There are religions that are not afraid to use the term Christian. The entire cult of Catholicism is using and has been using. In fact, they're the founder of the term Christian. At least popularizing it in church history. It wasn't us. So what was the difference between Christian and Indoor Christianity? So, Christianity in general is a description of someone following either Jesus Christ or a Christ. The truest definition is Christ, ianity, which is a follower of a Christ. Stay with me, listeners, because if you walk this all the way through, here's what you're going to get. Early on, as Paul and Peter and those guys were identified as Christians because they were followers of Jesus Christ, right? Now we're taking, that's point A, and today is point B. And all these hundreds of years later, we are now in a position that the anti-Christ can now swap identity and put his own identity in place and people will continue to follow him because he calls himself a Christian that's 602-292-2982 Yes, I believe that Satan will use the term Christian to identify his worldwide religion. 
without question in my mind. You see, it doesn't take very long to literally reform the dictionary. Less than a generation to take Webster's old definitions of words to having new definitions today because even the church is saying we need to stay up with the culture. We need to have a social gospel. We need to have, you know, a gospel that the young people are attracted to. You want to know what the young people are attracted to? A God that is lovey, mushy, without strong convictions, not judgmental, All he does is love, love, love. That is not the God I serve. The God I serve is love. He is the definition. And he is going to have a great judgment day. That day, a day to the Lord, is how many years to us? A thousand years. So the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ is going to be a thousand years of judgment. Because it is the day of judgment. That's when they're all going to be surprised. That's when all the emergent New Agers and the emergent, you know, Universalists and the emergent One World Religion people, that's when they're all going to be surprised. The very thing they despise the most about the identity of God, which is don't judge me, is going to last a thousand years. That's how long it's going to take to get every human that has ever lived to go through judgment. I say, judge me, God. I say, God, I understand you and your judgment. But see, as an indwell believer, I'm already redeemed. I'm already set free from the consequences of sin and death. So I can say, I I want to face judgment. I want to help out any way that you want me to help you out during those thousand years. I'm not praying that the universalists somehow accept the day of judgment because the day that they do get there, they've already been penalized. What's the second thing they hate the most about God? Don't judge me. And you must go through my son Jesus to get to me. Or else you go to hell. You go to hell. Universalists have completely removed the concept, as they call it, of hell. No judgment, no hell. Well, you eliminate those two, you eliminate Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The study of salvation and how salvation is the gateway to freedom. So you see, Satan has to replicate something in order to penetrate the hearts and minds of the people to come up with some kind of salvation because every religion in the entire world has a salvation gate. Some of it is you have to become your own God. Some of it is you have to attain through works and, and performance. Some of it is what whatever their 
roadway is to get to this gate. Every religion has a gate that says the way of salvation. Even the Universalists have it. It's called by them, quote unquote, and I'd like to have one of you Universalists call me at 602-292-2982 and tell me if there's something different than what I've discovered on all of your websites and reading your books and all this other stuff I've explored. You have this term called universal salvation. In other words, when you're born, you're born saved. Very similar to how the Catholics believe. But the Catholics have one little step where you need to bring the baby to church and get some water sprinkled on their forehead to make the public statement that this child has been born saved. Shame on you Catholics. That is so far from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's ridiculous. No man is born in universalism. And the reason why the Catholic Church is known as the father of universalism is because of that. The birthing point of universalism is you are born saved universally. God's love saved you upon your first breath. Lutherans, you have done the same thing. Yes, I'm going to get in trouble naming some of these these religious uh, denominations and churches because I'm getting to the point where I'm getting tired of dancing around the bush that God is outwardly speaking against as he did in the book of Revelation with the seven churches. He clearly says, this is what I have against you. You're a great group, but this is what I have against you. And we need to be doing the same thing. You Lutherans, when you do baby baptism, you are covertly confessing universal salvation. So let's talk about what it is. Here's a few quotes from some of my favorite guys. John Calvin said, No man is excluded from calling upon God. The gate of salvation is set open unto all men. Neither is there any other thing which keeps us back from entering in. Save only our, except for our only unbelief. Now here's a gate that's open. It's ready. And as you know, there is a separate group called Universalist Calvinist where they changed one simple word for t that's in their little word picture they do on tulip. Do you remember which one it was? Limited, which is Calvinism. Limitless, which is universalism. See, all it takes is a simple twist to send someone to hell. It's not complicated. Charles Spurgeon said, The greatest enemy to human souls is 
self, a self-righteous spirit, which makes men look to themselves for salvation. Do you know how long ago this man said this? Was universalism sneaking around at his church door? I can assure you it was, because the day that Satan was put in that garden, put in the tree to do the deception with Eve, was the day universalism started. Just a slight twist of what God said in Eve's mind was like, well, you got a point there. Let me have some of that fruit. And she bit into that universal fruit. And for some crazy reason, it immediately showed up with her husband, and then for some crazy reason, immediately showed up in murder. Well, one of her sons killed another one of her sons. Because that's the goal of universalism, is to kill Jesus and to crucify him and to remove him from the formula. That is your goal, Universalist, 602-292-2982. It is your goal to crucify Jesus Christ over and over and over and over like some of those religious groups do as the Catholics. It's demonic. It's demonic doctrines to continue to try to re-crucify Jesus because you hate him. The reason why Satan wants to re-crucify Jesus is to remind the people he's dead. He was just a prophet for a little while, but he's dead. Thank you, Charles Spurgeon. I know you can't hear me in heaven. But Lord, I appreciate the service that you gave through this man. The clarity of doctrines that God has blessed the people with down through the ages. Josh McDowell, when it comes to my salvation, all I needed, all I need is Jesus. After my salvation, everything is Jesus plus the church. When people preach that all of you need is Jesus, they cut you and I off from one of the greatest sources of healing, which is the body of Christ. Don't go it alone. You won't make it. That's the final attempt of Satan to destroy the attachment of the body of Christ to Christ. To have a personal relationship with Him. You get them not to attend church. You get them to forsake the assembly of the brethren. Because if you're not connected to the body, your mind is going to go independent and you're going to come up with all these crazy, twisted doctrines about the church. That's how it works. So when you talk about evangelizing people outside this building and they have a horrible time stepping through the doors of a church 
Listen to me, pastors, no matter what country you're in, we all struggle with this problem. To get people to walk from the street in the door to a church to immediately experience the full fellowship of the body of Christ is where the greatest temptation of pastors to use universalistic ideas, seeker-friendly ideas to keep the people inside the church. Why don't we put a coffee shop inside the church? That'll bring them in. Why don't we have a rock band? Why don't we fill our sermons with stories? As Janie and I counted how many stories one of the most world-famous preachers in the entire world today and probably will be in history. How many stories did you count, Jane? Nineteen? In one sermon. It's called tickling of the ears. Not this preacher. I'm going to speak the truth. And if people are offended or people threaten my life, which happens more than I want to admit, it has to be said. It has to be said as Jesus said it to the seven churches. He gives them a compliment of what really, truly their first love is all about. And he says, I have this against you. Like the one church, he says, You call yourselves Jews, but you're not. You're of the synagogue of Satan. I wonder what church that is. It's all over the world. It's down down your street that we call Christian because they're followers of a Christ. So that Satan can step in someday and simply swap out the identity of the Christ again. And they'll all follow him, like sheep being led to a slaughter. You better know the difference between Christianity and indwelt Christianity. I got a text this week from a pastor who says, You're making far too big a deal about this indwelt Christianity stuff. Because I replied to one of his emails with that difference and asked him which he was. Are you a Christ follower? Or are you indwelt by him? Which means every footprint you make is Christ in you. You see, performance and all the rules and regulations about Christendom will not work in identity in Christ teaching. It won't work. But anyone who lives by fear and has to learn to live the right way as a Christian, it will work. And that is what Jesus is addressing in the final days. A Christ follower? Or are they truly indwelt by my life? You want to know how many times it's referenced in the New Testament about Christ in you? You do your study. It's endless. Here's our word for today. Soterological. Here's our question for the day. Is Jesus the only way? Yes. So, 
Here's something I want you guys to listen for. I am not saying that everyone who uses this term is going to fall into universalism. If you're listening, like the only thing I have about that bothered me about Kurt's video, which is really was a lot of fun seeing him take his people out on the street and dance and sing that song and whatever, I had fun with it too. But see, in the song, it was about God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, is true. But it's not. It's Jesus, my Savior, Jesus, my healer, Jesus, my deliverer. So we'll see how Kurt responds, or if he does. I want to know. I have checked many of his, his music videos, and it is primarily God. You see, a lot of churches have made a shift not to offend people with the name of Jesus Christ. For some reason, when they hear the name Jesus, they're offended. They don't go from the street into the building. But if you talk about God, universally, people think, well, they could be talking about my God. But see, when you say Jesus Christ, that's so specific and offensive that it creates a violent response. Like Paul, remember when he was violently torturing and killing Christians? Because they used the term Jesus Christ. The apostles, the teachers, in the first and second generation after Jesus' death, didn't call themselves Christians. It was an offensive term. We're not Christ followers. We are filled with the spirit of the living God. That's how they viewed themselves. And we've come a long way, baby. Where you can use the term God and people can say, That's, they, I bet they're a Christian. Don't be afraid to use the name Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid of the gospel. It's okay to say Christ once in a while. It's okay to say God. But if you notice in the scriptures, if you do a word study, and you can do it online, that'll give you the exact numbers of how it's used in the Bible. You do a research on the word Jesus, almost always will you see Christ connected to it. Christ was not his last name. It was Jesus is the Messiah the great savior, the great healer, the great deliverer. He's the gate. But no, we use God, we use Christ, we use God, then we use Christ, and then we use God, and then we use Christ. We put God on our, on our currency. Over here we put, you know, Satan's eyeball with the pyramid, and we... And people just every day pass out money. They just, they pass out terminology and it doesn't bother them anymore. It's how you change a dictionary. People don't react to the terms anymore. So if I say to someone, do you mean Jesus Christ? It agitates people. Of course I mean Jesus Christ. No, I'm, I'm afraid I cannot, of course, that. We live in times that Christ can mean any. Thing or anybody. There are Messiah complex people all over this world. 
I need to hear you say, Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. That's what I need to hear you say. Can you say it? When we're delivering someone from a possession of a demon, the way we find out if they are unsaved and filled with a demon is, can you say this? And if their tongue is trapped by saying Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is God, then someone's got their tongue. Whether it's oppression or possession. Oppression is for believers in Christ Jesus. Possession is for unbelievers in their flesh. And their tongue can be controlled in either group. Discernment is very important. The purposed objective of Christ's incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection was to take the death consequences of men's sins upon himself and to save men by restoration of God's life. So if I was a reconstructionist in a universalist theological university, there's a couple things I would like to have changed in this statement. The first thing I would like to do is to take this word Christ, incarnation. Now, I know we have tons of, of uh, Indian listeners. And I know that your religion has taught you for generations that your grandma is a beetle or an ant. And you've got to watch where you step and certainly don't slaughter any of those cows in the field. Holy cow! Where there's been this deception blended in about re in Carnation. And why did the enemy put that into your religion? To completely diffuse this piece of doctrine. Crucifixion. Some of my Muslim listeners, which I really appreciate you educating me the way that you do, most of you don't believe that the way Jesus died was through crucifixion. But you do believe he lived. And you do believe that he was a great prophet. But you certainly don't believe in, in the crucifixion of Christ. Because if you include the crucifixion of Christ, you have to start reviewing the facts that he was put on the cross as an innocent man. And who, was the, who were these people that put him on the cross? Why did they put him on the cross if he was innocent? And exactly what did he mean by saying he became sin on our behalf? What did he mean by the crucifixion was the finished work? What did he mean by all of darkness was sealed on the day of the cross? What did he mean? There's so many doctrines that are built around this word crucifixion, they would have to answer that. So they have erased the fact in their history that the way Jesus died was crucifixion. In fact, some of you Muslims actually believe he did what you're prophet did and he was transfigured well I got rid of crucifixion and what about resurrection well you can't have the doctrines of resurrection unless you have the doctrines of crucifixion you can't have the doctrines of crucifixion unless you have the doctrines of, of, of Christ becoming flesh God becoming flesh through Christ 
and came to dwell among us. The word became flesh to dwell among us so we could behold him. Okay, now my exchange life listeners. Those of you who believe in co-crucifixion. Those of you who believe in co-burial. Those of you who believe in co-resurrection. Those of you who believe you're seated at the right hand of God today. All of you identity in Christ people. You're going to be called cult members in the end. Because that's bizarre thinking. If churches and denominations all over the world are erasing the power of resurrection, erasing crucifixion, erasing incarnation, and, and it's just drifting away from the universal church <laughs> to talk about co-death, burial, and resurrection in Christ Jesus is completely crazy. Why are exchange life group of Christians listed with the Pentagon? as a fourth most dangerous terrorist group in America? Why are they separated out from nominal Christians? Or any pastor who is preaching the absolute truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Those in the end will have a torturous life. We don't even understand what Jesus meant about fellowshipping with His sufferings because those days are just beginning. Some of my friends overseas are experiencing the fellowship of his sufferings. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul explained, Jesus himself announced in his mission as, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. John 10.10. 10. Explicitly declaring, I am the life, John 14.6. The person and work of Jesus Christ facilitates a spiritual generation, John 3, 1 through 6, which involves the receiving of the very life of the risen and living Savior. Risen and living Savior. If there's anyone listening right now and you're going to Bible school, you're going to a Christian school, you're going to a seminary, you are studying about Christ, you better stand guard. Because studying theology does not put you in the Theo. But having the Theo in you, through Jesus Christ and through representation of the Holy Spirit, put the exact knowledge of the entire universe inside your mortal body. And whether he reveals the exact knowledge of the entire universe to you is his decision, which he won't. Because these little brains cannot contain it. But you understand that the enemy has reversed it where he has put institutions together that you learn about Christ identity instead of Christ in you? Haven't you ever asked yourself the question where the term university came from? And we're throwing around this word like it's a normal, natural, neutral word that Jesus Christ uses? The thing that was binding me and bunching up me the most about the people that were encouraging me to get my second doctorate at Oxford is the doctorate was in philosophy. Philosophy is something I am horrifically against. 
Because it's the study of the beliefs of a man's mind and conclusions. And somehow you study so many of them that you come up with your own conclusion universally about all these brilliant men and women. It's evil. God said who he is. He made it clear who he is. He put Christ in us to remind us who he is. And that's all we need. And if you do enjoy reading and studying and advancing yourself, which I do, it's not for the purpose of a higher degree of an acknowledgement from an institution or person. It's because I want to understand more about what is in me and what is in the world and how they're in opposition with each other. Does that make sense? The salvation we obtained through our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, is the dynamic saving life, Romans 5.10, of the living Savior. True salvation is the indwelling life of Christ. Not to call yourself Christian. If I had my druthers, I would love to see every true indwelt believer who has the Holy Spirit living inside them to stop using the term Christian the rest of their lives and use the term indwelt Christian indwelt Christ follower that does make sense there are so many people who call themselves Christ followers that if you add 20 more years on to today When these children are grown adults with children, they'll be using terminology that you as the grandparent are going to be shocked to describe Christ, Jesus. Our children today are being lullabied to sleep by truth. But in the end, when the call calls up yonder, they're not going to hear it. Some of you have children and grandchildren that you're concerned that they're not hearing the higher call. It's because of what you did to your children. You didn't make that truth so profoundly evident, so black and white, that the child was choosing at 10 years of age what is unrighteous and what is righteous. They don't know the difference. So when they become 20, 25, 35, 40, they're still trying to discover a universal God who's not offending me with his black and white, his absolutes, as our universalist listeners refer to it as. You see, because truth always wins. You may think this world is getting more and more narrow and less people are hearing the truth. That would be the truth. But I'm telling you, in the end, truth always wins. Universalism is guilty of identifying and interpreting salvation as disconnected from the life and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is often viewed as a mass of information to be self-interpreted, informing men of God's doctrines, covenant, Love, oneness, an invitation to all men without exception and or conditions in order to inherit the benefits of God. 
So what we are experiencing in churches globally is the removal of conditions. So they can come through the door as homosexuals. They can come through the door as transvestites. They can come through the door as murderers, which I've had those. Now listen, listeners, very carefully, because I'm confessing to you today, if you've murdered someone, come through our door. If you're gay, bring your partner with you. If you're a transvestite, come on in. Dress like a woman or a man. It's always been a fascinating thing to me that women can dress like men and there's no label for them. But if a man dresses like a woman, there's a label for him. We have messed up. But what you do when you're in this room will be very different than what a lot of other churches are doing. No, I will not accept your gay marriage. No, I will not accept your transvestism. No, I will not accept you're a murderer. No, I will not accept any label. But we will just love you as a person who God created. But you must convert to God's doctrines through Jesus Christ through the empowerment of the possession of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're going to have to get saved. We will not embrace any of your demonic doctrines to say we love you and we won't judge you. I'm not going to judge you. Hopefully what I give you is to preserve you during Judgment Day. 602 292 2982. But the good news is not the message of divine benefits, but of the availability of the very being of God in Christ to dwell within the function through anyone willing to freely receive him in faith. That's the peace. That's the gateway. So for you universalists to completely remove our gateway, I say you hypocrite. Because you have a gateway. You say at the moment of someone's birth they receive universal salvation. That's a gateway. You Muslims have a gateway. You Mormons have a gateway. And it would bore you if I went through every religion that uses the term Christian. You all got a gateway, but how come the indwelt Christians can't have a gateway? Can someone please text me the answer to that at 602-292-2982. Because I want to know, why is it always the indwelt Christians who believe Christ is in them are the ones that are the heretics in the world? The gospel is not merely information to be assented to, but the living word is a person. The personhood of Jesus Christ. Coming to dwell within the spirit of man as the reality of God's life in man. Universalism often ends up being a modernized form of self-seeking philosophy that seeks to find knowledge in the assurance of spiritual oneness with God and a certain security and a promised universally accepted destiny with God. Not Jesus. If there's a pastor listening, 
if there's a music leader listening, if there's a musician listening, and you're not putting the name Jesus Christ in your songs, in your sermons, in your communication, I personally believe you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're more interested in winning people from the street to your building than you are winning souls into heaven. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our security and assurance must be in Christ alone. And as we participate in the divine life of Christ, we can leave our destiny in God's hands. For such will be but the continuance of his life and our participation in Christ Jesus. We are participating in him, his thoughts, his way, his doctrines. But see, I know the majority of the listeners today, including some of the people that could be in this room, are into interpretation, not transformation. When you embrace truth, you're transformed. When you have to analyze truth. Now stay with me on this. If you are claiming the Holy Spirit lives inside your mortal body, which is true Christianity, indwelt Christianity, you have the Holy Spirit already living in your mortal body. True? So if we were sitting around Satan's table, his, his primary council of world religions, you know one of the first religions that I would put together is a church that believes in second blessings. That salvation is one day and filled with the Holy Spirit's another day. That's what I would do. You see, that is a confession that you do not understand that the Holy Spirit living inside you is the representation of Jesus Christ. Because I understand that Jesus Christ is the representation of God. It is one of the earliest forms, the Pentecostal movement, sorry to offend some of you Pentecostals, the Pentecostal movement is one of the first early movements to separate out the living life of Christ in the indwelt believer. You have to speak in tongues to get it. You have to manifest to get it. You have to. All these conditions started to enter in again to get the Holy Spirit. Really? The only reason why that happened in the church after Jesus ascended. Now, pastors, listen very carefully to me. Some of you, if you email me, I ask you this question. It's the first question I ask Pentecostal pastors. Were the disciples Christians? Yes, they were Christ followers. Were the disciples indwelt Christians? impossible so all of a sudden this moment of ascension happens and Peter caught it Peter and Paul seem to be the guys that caught it a lot and all of a sudden Peter stops the scene puts things on pause 
And he says, Jesus, where's this gift that you promised us? And Jesus, he didn't say, oh, Peter, quit worrying. Give it up. Forget about it. No, this was, I believe, the most significant moment in church history. And what does Jesus say to Peter? I must go so it may come. Whenever you try to start a denomination on one of the phases of the finality of the finished work of the cross, you will have a cult. And Satan will use it to divide and destroy the church. See, Peter wanted it. He wanted the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus talked about it. Of course, they leave. I mean, he... I want to ask Peter, were you standing there like, do you guys feel anything? Are you speaking in tongues or anything? Why don't we go to the upper room and have a sandwich? We've been waiting out here five hours. It's just not going to come, okay? Well, that's exactly what they do. And what happened in the upper room? The Holy Spirit fell down upon them and they were possessed by Christ. As I said to a lady today, I've been helping through this issue in another state. And she asked me, how many times should we be praying to the Holy Spirit, thanking the Holy Spirit, and putting the emphasis upon the Holy Spirit? I texted her back and I said, the same percentage of Jesus. <laughs> well, how much was that? Hardly ever. So you know what I would do sitting at the Council of Satan's World Religion table? And those of you who are part of the World Council of Churches, listen to me very carefully. I'd put the entire focus of the church on the Holy Spirit. You see, it separates the Holy Spirit from the personhood, the unity, the oneness of God. The Holy Spirit is Christ in me, representing Christ Jesus. Does not want the attention. Jesus is the focal point. His life, his identity, his death, everything is about Jesus. Even God himself doesn't talk about himself very much, but he certainly talked a lot about Jesus. What has the enemy done? He's brought so many denominations to focus on the separate categories of truth. Every one of them believing they've got it. Well, you don't. Unless you are preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ. So in that room it came and they were filled. <laughs> there were miracles from speaking in tongues. I have spoken in tongues many times. I've translated tongues. I've put my hand on people and saw them healed with my own eyes. I have literally raised someone from the dead. Have I not? But see, it wasn't me. I didn't have a ministry of raising people from the dead. 
You see, God does what He wants to do when He wants to do it. He just needs available into all believers to say, I get it. I get it. And that's what happened in that room. Thousands of people were affected instantly. But every person, stay with me, you Pentecostal pastors, every person who got saved after that finished work, the night of Pentecost, was the last moment of transitional gospel. Every person who got saved after that night received the Holy Spirit upon salvation. They received Christ in them upon salvation. That was salvation. And the enemy goes, this is not going to happen. I'm going to build churches. I'm going to build movements. I am going to build universal churches that are powerfully controlling world governments that separate those three guys out. Now I do get it. Because it's not complicated. I cannot tell you how many apostolistic preachers I have as followers. Hundreds. And many of you guys are in Africa. I'm begging you to quit separating the Trinity with your fruitless doctrines of second blessings, second fillings, first fillings, salvation second, separating it out like a, some kind of university, but receiving and knowing the finality, finished work of Jesus Christ. You confess that Jesus Christ is, and I'll finish the verse, and you shall be saved. What's in the middle there? If you believe in your heart, what? And confess with your mouth, what? I think we should just make this extremely complicated. That'll just get you your ticket to attend a service where you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then even then, because I've asked many of these leaders, is it locked and loaded or does it come and go? Most of them say, it kind of comes and goes. Well, is there a set of rules that I could read? To keep the Holy Spirit locked and loaded? Got one of those I can read? Do I check them off or tell the Holy Spirit I've done them? Or how's it work? See, we've complicated the simplicity of the gospel. Don't set your mind on earthly things or their books or whatever. Set your mind on things above where you're already seated. You apostolic pastors, listen to me carefully. Colossians chapter 3, study the entire chapter. You're already seated at the right hand of the Most High in Christ Jesus. I'm not done. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. Christ is hidden in God. And you think demons can have access to you? You think you can be possessed by a demon? You're calling God a liar. To have Christ in you, you in Christ, Christ hidden. Read the verse yourself, Colossians 3.3. 3. Hidden in God. You know, if I was sitting around the council of Satan, 
of world religions. I would think I would have to get a doctrine in most of the churches that Christians could be possessed by a devil. Hmm. I have counseled Satanists. And they've told me the laborious process they have to go through to get possessed. And Christians walk around thinking they can do it if they rub shoulders with an evil person? What's happened to us? Or church! Hey, here's a better one. We're sitting around the Council of Satan at the World Council of Churches. And we talk about a way that we can get the focus of terminology and expression of that terminology so focused around evil and demons and negative talk that Christ is forgotten. So how about if someone came up with there's a demon behind every bush thinking? Does anyone want to take that, that objective? Oh great, you take that one for your church. Instead of Christ being behind everything, <laughs> demons are. You know the reason why that you cannot see demons who are readily available outside this building? This is not going on inside here, I can guarantee you. But they have free reign out there. The reason why you don't get to see them is because God doesn't want you to. But yet the church likes to talk about these little evil creatures. What they look like, what they sound like, what their names are, if they're a legion one, if they're just a little guy. I command you to give me your name. Are you the demon of addiction? Are you the demon of depression? There's books out there on their names. There's 13 names of Satan. That should be enough. Knowledge is one of them. So if, if God has got it set up that you're not supposed to see these things, why in the world would you talk about them that much? Just live the Christ life. Set your affections on things above where you are seated at the right hand of the Most High. In universalistic thought, salvation becomes a commodity, a heavenly entrance pass. It's all they want. Or an eternal life package. It's kind of like going to, you know, check out one of these uh, resorts that you buy into their package and you can go visit any of their resorts in the world. Good analogy. That's all Satan wants. No matter where you go, you're going to get the same services from me. Whether you go in a church of, of Chrislam or you go in a church of Mormons or you go in a church of whatever, you're going to get the same service wherever you go. It's all universal. One package. Meanwhile, out in the backyard behind the building, they're hanging Christians who are indwelt by the life of Christ. The churches. Oh, a church would never kill indwelt Christians. Have you not researched the Catholic Church? You say, are they the only ones who have slaughtered indwelt Christians through the years? Are you kidding? Every form of universalism fails to recognize that the living Lord Jesus is a personal pathway of salvation. That salvation is Jesus the Savior enthusiastically manifesting himself in a faithful receptive individual, Ephesians 2.8, which is now 
and forever. It doesn't change. So the key is, are they receptive to that doctrine? He's the only pathway. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Are they receptive to that? Well, I don't know if you guys are spending much time trying to talk to universals, but they're all around you. They're, they're right around you. You don't have to go on the internet like I do. And talk to them. The average Christian does not believe in the personal pathway of Jesus Christ and to meet every condition of the law. Every law has to be fulfilled before you can become an indwelt believer. It's an impossible task, right? Guess what? Christ says, I'll take care of it for you. I'll fulfill the law. Then you can have me. But you still need to be receptive and you still need to come in under the conditions of sound doctrines of my Father. Do you or do you not agree with that? Yes, Lord. Totally naive of what, what he meant by that. But I said yes, Lord. Then working out my salvation the rest of my life has kind of revealed the details of true Christianity. When we fail to understand and experience salvation as the dynamic life of our living Savior, Jesus becomes a machine, a problem-solving, a fixed Savior, who is actually the dispenser of salvation rather than the Savior. So they believe that Jesus does exist. They believe Jesus did exist. And he actually came as a machine, a mechanism, to dispense this universal salvation, just to announce it. Now, for universals to say, Jesus is the Son of God, you're going to start having some problems. To say that Jesus is God, you're going to have some bigger problems. And that's when it starts to break down, and that's where I meet them. I just go right for the throat. I just say, could you please say to me that Jesus is God? Let's start there. No, I know what you're doing. You're trapping me and I'm not going to say it. Thanks for emailing me. Because if I dialogue with them, it's foolishness. I'm debating a dog. Because it'll all be impulse. you got to start from that root. To view Jesus as such as a mechanical instrumental way does violence to the Trinitarian revelation of God. And what I mean by that is doing violence to the Trinity. It's like taking out that knife and cutting the Holy Spirit from Jesus as a separate experience. And then cutting Jesus out as a separate person than God. It's violent. It's ripping the veil of the soundest doctrines of salvation. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one and you churches that separate them out are violating the most sacred doctrines of the universe salvation must be given its true and real position in the person and work of the living Lord Jesus though universalists might explain that salvation is being universally made safe safe place into our Christian salvation is the process of the living Savior at work in the people of faith to fulfill the eternal purpose and commission to glorify God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't you ever separate those three. I don't care if you're your own 
pastor is telling you to. Do not separate those three. And if you want to put an emphasis on talking about any one more than the other, I would do it to the percentage the New Testament talks about one of them. And who might that be, congregation? Jesus Christ. I talk to and with and about Jesus as if he's my Savior, and he is, as if he is my friend, and he is, and as if he's my husband, and he is, and he's my God. So anything I want to say about complimenting the God of the universe, I say it to my husband. It's just like some of you wives going around your husbands and listen to preachers on the radio. Or you're reading books and have an intimate relationship with men outside of your own husband. You're bypassing your husband and getting intimacy from someone else. Idolatry turns to adultery without question. That's why we have so many divorces. I'm not making that mistake with my husband, Jesus Christ. He's everything to me. That's why I can dance I can sing, I can raise my hands, I can freely run around like David did, rejoicing the Lord because the Lord means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And any of you who try to sell them to me in different packages, shame on you. May God's word correct you. Such salvation in Christ is universally available to all men, Titus 2.11. But is not universally imposed upon all men as universalism asserts. Indwell Christianity has always maintained that salvation action of Christ, being a Savior, must be individually received by faith. And it is by faith we receive Christ. Not poured on people universally on the day they're born. Jesus clearly indicated whoever believes in the Son shall have eternal life. John 3.16, very famous verse. Paul explained, quote-unquote, For by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8. Such believing faith is not merely human faith, but actually the faith of Jesus Christ has put in you. Have you ever read those passages about the measurement of faith given to you? Well, what in the world does that mean? Don't I have my own faith here? Faith-based? Respect all men's faith? Are you kidding? I'm not going to respect your faith if it's going to send you to hell. That is ridiculous. But that's what we do. Because we don't want to offend anyone. My faith has got the greatest conditions of the universe. My faith has to fulfill every law ever spoken about God's character. So I would admit, I can't do it. So then he steps up and says, I did it. And let me tell you about how I did it. That's pretty simple gospel there. But you see, we don't have this simplicity anymore. Rarely do you hear a believer walking around actually saying, it's not by my faith, the faith of the Son of God. Do you know that Christ actually said, I have to give you a measurement, Steve, even for you to believe what this preacher is saying. 
And as my preacher years ago at 16 years of age was leading me to Christ, Jesus Christ was right there through the Holy Spirit. And God the Father through Christ was saying too, working with the Holy Spirit to say, you better be ready because he's going to need a measurement of faith even to accept this. And the Holy Spirit gave me my measurement of faith on that day of my salvation. And I received it, heard him, and was changed forever. I've seen miracles by a frail human body out of this measurement of faith. And I can't claim it as Steve Finney. It's him. There is nothing in me that is good beside Jesus Christ. Nothing in me that is good. And that's why I want this body to stay in that casket. A damic, earthly body that contains nothing good, as Paul says, dwells within my flesh, is gone. Can you imagine standing before God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? And someone please tell me where exactly I'll be standing? The right hand. Who's the Trinity now again? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Inside us. Who becomes the bride of Christ. Do you understand that? Being seated at the right hand of God, we're looking out at the host of angels. We're looking out from the throne position because we're the bride of Christ. Your brain cannot take that in. So for Paul to tell the Colossian church, you guys are already seated at the right hand of God. It's not something to look forward to. You're already there in Christ Jesus. The ownership certificate has been signed, sealed, and delivered. It's a finished work. I just want you guys to try to focus your mind around that on earth. And maybe you'll get glimpses of grace of what we're doing up here. Well, I do get glimpses. And I'm no more special than anyone else listening. This is eternal truth. Receptivity is the gateway to the gate on the human level for good and bad. So faith is our receptivity of his activity. Universalism often denies that faith is necessary for salvation. For it defines faith as simply acknowledging the fact that all are saved. Key to remember, any religion that does not include Jesus in the formula of salvation and primarily uses the name of God needs to be avoided like a demonic plague. It doesn't mean you reject him instantly. You can say, could you back that up for me? Are you saying Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, isn't that assumed? No, I'm afraid not. I know lots of religious people who use the term God. Could you say that for me? Jesus Christ is the one who's... Nail them down. Get the confession out of them. And if they say, well, yeah, Jesus Christ is, is the only way for us to... You know, and they finish their statement with Jesus Christ. And go, okay, now what else were you going to say to me? Because I'm not going to sit there and take this God stuff out of someone who believes God is something that's on a dollar bill. Who's usually associated with this great architect, the big G. Jesus is not dependent on the interpretations of man. He does not depend on their opinions, but rather on the 
measurement of faith given to them. So if I was sitting on Satan's council, World Council of Churches, and we were trying to come up with some more deceptive ways to deceive the people, I'd get them to think that, well, you need to get saved first, maybe, and then go to a school, a university. In order to be a pastor, you got to get at least a master's degree in divinity. That would be good. Or maybe a doctorate in ministry. That would really be good. I had these gentlemen who appealed to me for money from Africa. For money. That they can go and get their theological degree. Because a new university has come to town for Christians. And my reply, of course, is, you don't need any degree. I don't even bother to go in to tell them the history of where degrees came from because they don't know what Masons are over there in Africa, most of them anyway. So I just say, you don't need it. Show me in Scripture where Jesus got people saved and then said, now you need to go to school like Paul did. No, Paul was the most educated man in the entire world during that time. Jesus had dumb him down for 13 years before he was released in ministry. Most people who get these fancy degrees have to be dumbed down to the simplicity of the gospel. That's why I like taking young you know, men and turning them loose into ministry when they're young. Working with pre-existing universal people is very tiresome. They drain you. They throw the same stupid questions at you that have been asked since Jesus died. And even after you tell them the truth, they still won't listen to you. Because the Spirit is not there going, I'm about to give you a measurement of faith to receive what this gentleman's about to tell you. That's the moment you watch for when you're sharing the truth. Here's our identity matter statement for today, listeners. In the universalists, their pluralistic orientation They do not want to impose historical knowledge of Jesus or his narrow requirements of salvation onto this non-Christian world. But they are quite willing to impose universal salvation upon all men. They are flat out almost violent about this thought. They get really, really upset. They really do the opposite of what their church or their religious group claims. They're not loving. They're very violent people. Have you ever noticed that in Washington, D.C.? These people carrying around picket signs that have got love on it? They're violent people. If you get in their way. But if you don't get in the way, they're the most loving people you're going to ever meet. But stop them and say, let me tell you what kind of love you're actually touting here. You're not going to get love. Okay, now listeners, listen carefully. The Word of God, Word of God, says God is love. You having love on your picket sign, if you are not saying that the God of the universe loves you through Jesus Christ who came to die for you, fulfill the law, and put the Holy Spirit within you, and the three of them are one, and they are all God, your picket sign says, I hate you, if you don't believe as I. 
So they don't want to dump this stiff requirement of salvation onto the non-Christian world, but they're quite willing to impose their universal salvation to everyone. Knowledge and acceptance of Jesus Christ as a Savior are not necessary for salvation, according to each of these universalists and, the, and their teachers. They tout that one does not need to know Jesus is in order to receive salvation of God. Universalists react to the religious misstatement that sinful men are doomed to be damned, but apparently subscribe to the thesis that all men, universally and without exception, are doomed, destined to be saved. And if there is a listener, that has the indwelling life of Jesus Christ in them that can tell me of a better universal deception to impart to the entire world that would cause the entire world to skip over this step to enter into eternity on God's side forever please let me know I believe that universalism is not only the most demonic movement in the world, I believe it is the church of Satan. You are of the synagogue of Satan, and you're going to burn in hell, every one of you, unless you receive by faith that has to be given to you by the Holy Spirit, and you can have that by calling out to God for that moment, lead me, O Lord, unto your salvation, that I might too be a believer, to receive the very life and mind of Christ inside my mortal being. Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner, have been a sinner, I was born a sinner. I acknowledge that today to you. Jesus, I'm inviting you to come. Send the Holy Spirit into my body to become life to me, become your life to me. And this I pray in the seal of the Holy Spirit after this confession. If you prayed that prayer, you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord, Savior, Husband, and God. I'd like to know about it. Email me, text me, somehow let me know because there's materials available by teachers all over the world that can start you and being trained in the gospel. But those of you who heard today is a bunch of nonsense, do you smell any smoke? Are you feeling the heat? Is your chair shaking underneath you? Please don't make the decision to be a part of the 90% that reject the narrow way. Don't be one of these that has to learn on the other side of the decision where you're begging for a drop of water. If you need help in wanting to actually pray that prayer, to ask God to introduce you to salvation, contact someone. I'll help you. We can send other people to you in your area. We can get the gospel of Jesus Christ to you without question. Next week, we're going to talk about the doctrines of the end times. Universalism, part eight, eschatology. They have a very, very interesting view of eschatology. And I thank all the pastors worldwide who God has given them their own measurement of faith to have Christ minister to and through them to different types of deceptions in the world. Stay at it. 
partner with us so we can pray for each other, encourage each other, and stand strong together in Christ Jesus. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.